Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, so I'm sitting here with Chad Riker of Backcountry Rookies. So Chad, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, first off, thanks for having me on the show. I like your your show, man, I, especially the title, Publicly challenged because I think a lot of us are are publicly challenged at times regardless of what it is whether it be land or hunting space or whatever but I like the idea and I like the name uh, my name is Chad Riker and I also am a podcaster so I run a podcast called Backcountry Rookies and um, Backcountry Rookies was well I think we're going to dive into it a little bit more later so I'll just scratch the surface but Basically, Backcountry Rookies is it's an educational podcast where I try to help educate people that are new to the Western big game hunting to that that backcountry, I, I think, is a term that's been coined, you know, over the last several years. And, and um, it's just I didn't know anything about it when I started backcountry hunting. And um, I figured what better way to to learn about it than to have on guests, you know, subject matter experts and talk to them. So I created the Backcountry Rookies and I'm trying to teach myself and and others how to do this Western big game thing. Yeah, no, I I get it. I like it. I like your show. Um, so my question is, is when did you actually first start hunting then? Oh, I when I was a kid, you know, I start I was I grew up in central Indiana and I, you know, I started out hunting squirrels and rabbits and things with my dad and trapping, you know, we used to trap and just kind of do all of all that, that hunting, fishing, trapping stuff around the house and or, or around the local area there. So I started young and then I deer hunted a little bit when I was a youngster, you know, adolescent, preteen, whatever. 
um, and into my teens. And then, you know, you kind of hit that phase when you, as a teenager, where you, you start having friends and, you know, you get your driver's license and I, and I sort of just lost track of that whole hunting and, and fishing and outdoor scene. And, uh, I, I lost track of it for a long time, actually. So I did all of that. And then I stay, I always stayed in the outdoors and I love to be in the outdoors, whether it be hiking or rock climbing or, or just whatever it was, I just wasn't hunting. And, um, I guess to, to fast forward, I, I joined the military and I bounced around all over the, the world in the military and, and never really looked for hunting space or places. And then I'm, I met my wife and her family is, is all from West Texas here, you know, and there's plenty of land to, to hunt out in Texas. If you, if you know the right people and again, publicly challenged, right. I think that's, yep. we'll talk about that <laughs> shortly. Sure. So yeah, that's publicly land, public land challenge. But um, my wife's family hunted and spent a lot of time deer hunting, and and I, that's where I picked up that bug again. And so I just hunted out in West Texas, and you know some some other random places, uh, mule deer, javelina, hogs, things like that. And and then I was deployed somewhere with the military, and I I a, um, I was watching. I don't even remember what it was. So I like to shoot long range, right? I'm a long range shooter, and well, not super long range, but I like to shoot. And I was watching some show and on YouTube when I was deployed. And somehow or another, that show led me to a Randy Newberg Fresh Tracks show. And I, it was one of the shows where Randy talks about uh, how public land, you know, we have public land and how we can utilize it. And he was really promoting that, that public land and, and getting out and hunting. And that that video challenged me to do more research. And then I started watching more Randy Newberg videos and Corey Jacobson, you know, on the Mountain Project. Just pick your pick your YouTube, uh, you know, gr- hunting group. And I was watching it. What else do you do when you're deployed with the military, right? Besides work and <laughs> watch videos. So so anyway, that Randy Newberg video is the one that kind of kicked off the whole backcountry or Western big game idea. And I came home from that deployment and immediately started planning for my my next hunt. I I want to say I got home from that deployment in, on in like a June or July, something like that. And I didn't immediately go into hunting. I started planning it in about a year. I spent about a year planning and prepping for that first elk hunt in uh, Colorado elk hunt. So that's pretty similar to mine. It was actually, and it's kind of funny because now I picture Randy Newberg as like the American hunter's uncle, you know, it's uncle Randy in a way because (laughs) he's everybody, he just relates to you whether or not, you know, he means to do it or whatever. But through that show and the fact that he tells you folks, it's your land too. You can go out, you can do it. It's just one of those things where he truly inspires. And I don't even know how many hunters, it'd be cool to see an actual hard number, but he's one of those guys that just, makes it feel relatable and makes you want to do it and watching a bunch of his videos and then digging deeper and watching his bag dumps or his gear dumps and his truck dump and all that stuff I was like man okay this is it I need to do it too and so I called the cousin up who lives in Texas and I was like hey we need to go on an elk hunt he's like absolutely and it's one of those things we had similar sounds like you know planned for a year Bought a bunch of gear, bought a bunch I probably didn't need, drove my wife absolutely nuts the <laughs> entire process. And every time a box would come to the door, I'd just get that, you know, 
eye roll and a dirty look from her for the fact that how much did you spend now? What are you yeah, buying next? Exactly. And it just, but went, no, it was, it was a buy one, get one deal. That's yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. So yeah, that went on and on. Yeah. And it turned into, you know, something to where then you go out there and you do some more research, but I, I truly wasn't prepared at all for the entire experience. I mean, I thought I was mentally, I probably was, but as far as actual preparation, I wasn't. And so what did you do to get prepared for your hunt as far as like uh, research and things of that nature? Man, this is a big, this is a rabbit hole that we're going to run down here, but I, um, I did everything that I think most people do, right? I jumped on go hunt and I started searching units um, on X, I was all over on X looking at maps and Google earth and anything that I could do that was, that was map related. I was into that. It's, I love maps. I, I always have, I like paper maps, digital maps, whatever. So I was constantly into those looking for areas that might be good for hunting, even though I had no idea what I was looking for. Right. I was right. going off of, <laughs> off of the, the videos that I see on, on YouTube or whatever, like look for these North facing slopes and, and all of this stuff. Um, so I was doing all of that research on the side, but for, for a new hunter, gear everybody you'll you'll hear it constantly like ah you know gears don't spend all your money on gear right spend your money on tags and gasoline to get you there but that's that's really hard to say for a person that doesn't have any gear right. at all right yeah. when you don't have a backpack and you know you don't have any technical clothing or layering systems you don't have a, gar a garmin in reach which isn't necessary i mean not totally necessary but it's handy but anyway that's a whole nother part that needs to be researched, especially if you're like an Eastern hunter, like, like yourself coming yeah. out of Illinois, most of the stuff you have is big, bulky, puffy clothes. That's full yep. of cotton and you got thin slate in your boots, you know, and you have all of this stuff. So I think there is that research that needs to be done and, and gear's just fun to research anyway. Right. Because right. it's, I don't <laughs> know why it is, but it's just something that's, that's fun to research. So I was, anyway, I was doing all that and the layering system thing was really important to me where I, I was trying to build that quality layering system. Uh, being in the, in the military, I totally understand how, how all of that stuff works and, and, you know, having uninsulated boots versus insulated boots. And I, I just kind of, like that part wasn't huge to me. What was big to me was decreasing the weight that I had because I could have hunted in all of my, my military gear but it's just so heavy and cumbersome and loud. Like nothing military built for the military is, is perfect. You know, it's, it's right. all just, it's cheap, it's heavy, it's loud, it, it's whatever. So I was just trying to research how I could reduce weight and, and change some of those things. Um, I would say that's probably the most research that I did was finding the right units. Cause in the beginning, I didn't really have any friends or anybody to talk to in this space right in this western hunting space that's why i created backcountry rookies because i wanted to find i wanted to figure it out it was just me and a buddy we're going to colorado right that was the whole yeah. idea so we didn't know where to go we didn't know what to look for and that was the big the big thing um so where did you go in colorado so we went to southwest or uh yeah southwest colorado uh, it's been a few years now and it doesn't matter. We didn't kill anything out there anyway. So, um, we started in unit 78. That, that was the first unit we went to in Colorado, which is near Pagosa Springs area. 
Yep. Okay. And actually this year that unit is going to become a draw unit. It's been over the counter every yep. for as you know for a long time and this year it's one of the the Southwest Colorado units that's going to be a draw. Which is kind of new and I don't have much information on that yet, but um, anyway, so Southwest Colorado over the counter DIY, you know, we were going we weren't guided, we weren't doing anything. We were just trying to figure out how to hunt elk and that that was the whole idea and i think when we got out there neither one of us had the expectation of killing an elk right we just knew that we wanted to go and we wanted to try to figure it out which is funny to say because people always tell me i'm full of it when i say oh no we didn't care that we didn't <laughs> kill anything but it, the, i mean sure we were bummed out that we didn't go home with something that's the ultimate goal you spend money on a tag and gas money and everything to get there we wanted to kill something, but neither one of us went home upset. I don't think that that we didn't come home with an elk because we learned a ton and we had some encounters that were amazing, right? Just wonderful encounters. So it was super cool to even just be in that area with the elk and and just be able to experience it. So, so did you actually come across a bunch of elk or any elk when you were on that? Yeah, trip? yeah, we did. We had I had a I had a, a bull come in with the within about twenty yards. Um, I had my buddy was calling for me and he brought it in and I was, it, it was just one of those scenarios where that bull came in and in Colorado, it has to be a, a four point bull or it has to have five inch or six inch brow tines, five inch or six inch brow tines in order to shoot it. And I couldn't see the antlers on that bull the way that it came in. And then when it finally came, it got into that 20 yards all of the vitals were behind a, a big tree. So I, I didn't have a great shot and I couldn't confirm that it was a legal bull. And I knew just standing there, I knew I had my bow, I was ready to draw and shoot. And I knew just standing there, I just kept thinking if I wound a spike bull in Colorado, it's, this is, it's over for me, right? Like that's <laughs> totally illegal. So, uh, I just, I was waiting and I needed it to take about one or maybe two more steps to confirm that it was legal. And, and I never got that. We blew it out of there and it, you know, it took off and took all the other elk in the area with it. So, That's um, that cool. was, it was, it was, it was incredible to be honest with you. Cause as it came in, it was bugling and just making a ton of noise. It was amazing. And so that was my real good encounter with that, that year. And then my buddy, Neil, um, he had a pretty incredible encounter too. Not quite 20 yards, but just the calling and the back and forth. And my buddy Gus was doing all the calling and Neil was shooter for, for that, for that interaction. And it was, it was just one of those things where the bull would call and we would move and we would call and the bull would move. It, it was constant for about 30 minutes and we ended up losing light. And we got to the point, like you can't even see your the pins on your bow anymore. That was just, it was way past legal shooting light. And we ended up calling our way off of the mountain and getting out of there. And the plan was to go back in the next morning um, and just, you know, take care and kill that bull that morning. But we went back in there and, and he wasn't there. He had pulled his cows off the mountain or to another ridge or something. So we had two really good encounters that year. It was, it was pretty awesome, um, which of course then I got bit by the bug and I wanted to go back every, I thought about it all year long, you know, and I couldn't wait to go back. And, um, last year was my second year out in Colorado, same area, different unit, but same area, Southwest Colorado. 
and um, we didn't have any luck at all. We saw some mule deer in the wrong unit. So my buddy had a mule deer tag and I had an elk tag and um, elk was good everywhere, but his mule deer tag was in a certain unit and we just, we never saw mule deer in that unit. We would always see them in where I was hunting elk. So we couldn't never <laughs> close the deal on that. That's, I saw a lot of mule deer, but I never, uh, never A, had a tag for it and B, didn't see a single bull elk, but we didn't go archery. We went, I think it was like third rifle season or something like that, or second rifle. It was one of those things where it was pretty discouraging, you know, because you put in this research that you thought you knew what you were doing at the time. And now yeah. looking back, it's like, holy cow, the amount of mistakes we made was just unreal. But now at least we have that reference point, right? And so now, sure. you know, with all the e-scouting things and like, like you and I were talking about earlier, the whole Mark Livesey thing going on that he's doing, that's going to be, that's huge. I think that'll be a big advantage for everybody. So, yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I think that's another thing that's really important is that just using the resources that are out there, right? Every year, somebody, it seems like all the time, somebody's coming up with a, a new resource that's valuable to people. Even if it's experienced hunters, I think that there's something to be learned there. You know, the University of Elk Hunting from from Elk 101 is phenomenal. And I think Onyx is great. And then that Mark Livesey thing, I'm really uh, tree line pursuit. So I'm excited to see that come out. Just I, I'm just curious, man. It's a new it's a new tool. Right. And that's yep. what we need to do is is to put those tools in our toolkit and take them with us. And one of the things and I guess this is kind of a tip, I guess, I, but people always say invest in education, not in the gear. And I think that's a really valuable thing because that that first year um, I was doing all that map research, you know, and doing all of that kind of stuff. But I could have been doing University of Elk Hunting and I could have been doing whatever Treeline Pursuits has that he's working on. And I think there's there's things that I could have been doing to to make my knowledge base better. And then I could, you know, you can go to Walmart and buy a cheap yep. piece of gear that'll get you through, right? Synthetic. As long as you're not wearing cotton, you can do that. So you can do gear pretty cheap. And uh, another thing I think is important too is for, I, I mean, I won't say for some reason, I, there's a reason for it, but everybody says you need to go five miles deep and you need to spike out some camp and you <laughs> need to, you know, you need to do all these things. But to be honest with you, man, there's a lot of comforts and I think there's a lot of who am I, right? I haven't ever killed an elk from this type of position, but there's something nice when you can come home to a camp and you can start your campfire and you've got a nice tent and you've got a nice fireplace in that tent and you can regroup. And for somebody that's new to, to the, to backcountry hunting, that's kind of important to be able to come home, re kit, you know, re outfit your kit. I, this last year when I went out there, um, I had a truck full of stuff. I had two big tough boxes that had gear in it. I had camp chairs. We had a, we had a big Cabela's wall tent with a woods burning stove and cots. And we were sleeping good at night. We were eating good. <laughs> we had like a kitchen set up and it was, it was super comfortable to be able to, to live that way. And I'm not saying don't go spike out because there's certainly, a, there's a reason for it, right. To be able to go deep, but if it's your first year, you don't need to buy that $500 shelter that 
and a and a wood stove, you know, that ultra light titanium wood stove, and all of these things to to take you five miles deep into the backcountry. Take your tent, set up camp at your truck. If it's cold outside, start your truck, sleep in that thing, you know, stay warm, stay warm, get a good night's sleep, wake up early and and hike in an extra couple of miles uh, and learn because you may, you could spend thousands and thousands of dollars on getting that perfect backcountry spike out camp set up. And then you go out there and you have the worst, terrible, most terrible time ever. And you don't ever want to go back. And then you have thousands of dollars worth of gear that you're never going to touch again. Yeah. You know? No, I think, I think uh, when it comes to that, it's almost like a mental aspect that, you know, you really, you think you're prepared or something, but unless you actually put yourself in those situations, you're never, ever going to know what you're capable of. And it's kind of funny. And I hate to admit this, but it was like day three and my hunting partner uh, told me he underestimated or overestimated himself a little bit. And I mean, that was if you think about it, it's one of those things that it was probably pretty hard for him to admit, right? But at mm-hmm. the same time, it made me realize, okay, maybe we need to back it off a little bit. And since then, I've told him, though, I said, you need to really uh, do some more extended stay trips without all the luxuries of car camping and stuff because it, it might not happen again unless we unless we get that clarified. But, you know, it's definitely a, a mental thing as well. And I know gear can make or break your hunt, but like you said, you don't have to go crazy with it. As long as you have key items, like a good sleeping bag, something to keep you warm. Mm -hmm. That is important. Good boots. Definitely important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree, man. And, and another thing that I always like to say is that it's, I think it's, you have to test all of that stuff. So just like you said, your buddy over overestimating himself, if you don't know how to use your gear properly, it's going to fail on you. You're going to, it, it could be the best thing in the world, right? But if you don't know how to use it properly, it's, it's not going to work for you. So I, I test everything that I get, every new piece of gear. I test it. Um, what is this? We're in February right now, late February. It's I'm, I need a new pair of boots and I'm going to buy a new pair of boots here in the next few weeks so that I can spend the next seven months breaking them in, making sure they're right getting them comfortable, treated, you know, just getting them ready for the season. I just got a new shelter the other day. And to, so I'm in Texas, right? It doesn't really get that cold in Texas, but tomorrow night we're supposed to have like 30 degree temperatures and 20 to 25 mile per hour winds. And I'm going to put my shelter up in my backyard. I'm going to sleep in it in the backyard to see how it does in the in 25 mile per hour winds and and 30 degrees. And I'm sure my neighbors are going to think I live in a housing neighborhood, you know, my my neighbors are going to think I'm some kind of goofball, but if that's what I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to put it up. I'm going to make sure I, I mean, I I've already set it up a couple of times. So I know, (laughs) I I know how to set it up and I, you know, I know how to do it properly. And now I'm just going to go out there and sleep in it and, and test it out and see how it does in the wind. And to me, that's, that's really important. I said it recently too. I I can't remember who I was telling, but we were we were talking about the electronics and and what you have like your Onyx maps or or um, Garmin inReach and that kind of stuff. And I'm always messing around with my Onyx maps. I you know I went out to um, a big national park here in Texas, Big Bend National Park recently, and every time my wife and I would go out and do some kind of that that park is enormous. Yep. And every time we would go out, 
that before we would go, I would download that map on Onyx. I'd put my phone in airplane mode and I would use my Onyx to track and and just to use it, right? I do that all the time. I make sure I know how to use that equipment. My Garmin inReach is the same way. When no, I bought I, that fit, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Onyx is one of the things that I probably use the most out of any any of my Western hunting tools, or if you would call it that, but it, I mean, I use it here for hunting. I use it for even tracking how far the kids and I go on a hike or something too. It's just, it's an amazing tool. It's, it's a yeah. great tool to have. It really is. I'm curious, man, this is kind of off topic, but how do you use it in the Midwest? How are, how are you using Onyx to help you hunt? Oh, well, for instance, uh, I mark rub lines, I mark scrapes, I mark, you know, trees that I want to hunt in. So with a tree stand, you know, being in the Midwest tree stand hunting, I will pre-mark out as I'm scouting trees that I want to use to set up a stand so I can get right to that tree. And it gets me within the area. It's not always super accurate, but it will get me within that same stand of trees and I will get pretty close to being in the same exact tree. And yeah. that way, you know, I can hang and hunt, do that kind of setup. Um, I use it for marking just every, all kinds of different sign where I saw animals, marking tracks, everything. Yeah. Yep. It's a super handy tool for sure. I, it's probably, well, honestly, that's probably one of the best tools that I, I think I have in my, in my little toolkit yeah. that I use, that I use the most. I use everything and I've kind of, I can't say that I've been doing all this stuff for many, many years, but a, a few years now, and I've gone on several trips all over the place. I've hunted from Oregon bear to Audad sheep in Texas, you know, and then coos deer in Arizona and elk. And I, I have the opportunity to go on some really cool trips and hunts and I've been able to dial in all of, all of my gear. Like this year, I don't really have anything that I want to upgrade. And that's a comforting feeling to be honest with you that I'm pretty boots is the only thing, but that's a, you know, that's going to, there's a good chance. I'm probably just going to buy the same thing I'm wearing now because I like them. Um, but I have, I'll tell you this, I've gone through a lot of gear to get to the point where I'm at right now. <laughs> I, uh, I've gone through several backpacks and, different clothes, every clothing brand that you can imagine until I finally settled on what I wear now. Um, all of that stuff. I've, I've tried it all just cause I wanted to get what worked best for me. Well, and, that's like, uh, most, a lot of my Western hunting layers, I've adapted them one way or another to actually use in the Midwest for whitetail hunting as well. And I find it just works better because you can, you can shed things, you can pack them in a pack. They're lighter to carry with you. It's not like a big bulky coveralls that you would normally wear or something like that. And I'll, I'll wear them all the way from early season into, into late season, just depending on how you layer them, even the boots. So I used to always wear big, heavy insulated boots. Your feet would get hot. They'd sweat. They'd end up cold anyway. So now I mean, I got boot covers that I put over my Western hunting boots. I wear uninsulated boots the entire season. And if it gets real cold, you throw a hand warmer in there. And it, I mean, your feet stay toasty the whole, whole time. It's, it's a nice feature to have. That is it's, nice. Cause yeah. that's the one thing that'll drive you off the mountain is cold feet and cold hands. That, that's at least that's the one that affects me the most. Yeah. Cold feet is the worst. What are those boot covers that you have? Are they like a, um, like a quilly? kind of a thing that slides over it's it's like uh yeah it's um 
So it's got a zipper on the back. They're kind of oversized, but you can smash them flat, put them in your pack. And actually, they'd be great for glassing, too, when you're actually sitting still and your feet are going to get cold glassing. Mm -hmm. And they're light enough. I mean, definitely sub one pound. And I use the Arctic Shield ones. Um, and I, I really like them. I'm sure there's other manufacturers out there, but um, you could get those. they got a zipper on them. At the top, they've got a toggle with a drawstring. You can pull it, and it keeps all that heat in. And especially if you throw a hand warmer in there, they stay toasty for at least eight hours. Nice. It, it's yeah, nice. That's cool. Yeah. I've seen those used before and people use them for just that for glassing trips. And you know, when it's cold outside, they're going to be sitting up somewhere, big old set of gloves and, and a pair of those boot covers. And that's yeah. cool. I made a note, man. I may have to look into those. I, and the thing is, is last year was the first year I bought them. It was a cold snap during the rut and me and my buddy were talking about going out. So I went and swung by one of the local stores real quick, picked up two pairs Gave him one, gave myself one, and I was the most comfortable I'd sat all year. And I was like, why didn't I do this before? This is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, it's one yeah. of those aha moments. But, yeah. Um, so I'm, I kind of want to transition a little bit from hunting and start asking you some questions. So we kind of got an idea of how you came up with the podcast, but what was actually the driving factor where the moment where you're like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to start this podcast. Yeah, so I honestly is finding out what podcasts were <laughs> as funny as that is i i had i had never even knew what a podcast was and a friend of mine introduced me to podcasts and said you got to listen to this and i i'll remember it i it was a rogan joe rogan podcast and it was joe rogan and cam haynes and they were just back and forth and i was like wow this is actually pretty interesting um again i was deployed at this time and I was doing tons of driving all over the place. I was always in the vehicle and I thought, well, this is great, man. I'm in the car all the time. So I'm just going to pop these podcasts in that nobody spoke English on the radio. So I didn't have, I couldn't like turn the radio on. So I started listening to podcasts and I found out what a podcast was. And then it was shortly after that, that I stumbled onto that Randy Newberg video, which kind of led me to the Western big game thing. And then talking with my buddy about going Western, you know, hunting out West. And then, well, we don't know anything about hunting out West. How are we going to find out more? Well, I figured out these podcast things right now. I can, let's, why don't we start a podcast? And that's, that's kind of what happened. And then you probably are familiar too. It was a few weeks, maybe a couple of months. I don't remember of trial and error on trying to figure out how to even record one. Since I barely knew what one was, I had to figure out how to record it and get it done. So um, that was kind of the start of it all was honestly just figuring out. I had a really big year there. I didn't even have a, I had no Facebook, like even personally, I didn't have any social media. I didn't have anything. And all of this stuff had to be built off of me trying to figure it out. And, and Facebook was a trick. All of that social media stuff was a trick because I used to have a joke where I'd joke with my wife and tell her I'll be the last person on the face of the earth with a Facebook account. I didn't want anything to do with it. And then I started the podcast and I was like, well, shoot, man, now I have to advertise this thing somehow. Um, I guess I'm going to have to start a Facebook account. And I did, you know, and then so social media kind of spun off of that and got it going. That's uh, actually kind of similar to me. I actually never had, I had a Facebook account back when you could actually delete your Facebook account. I think I deleted it in like 2000, I don't know, seven and have maybe two, it was probably earlier than that. And so I didn't have a Facebook account. I recently got on Instagram 
had started listening to podcasts and it was one of those things that were started listening to them, listening to them. And I was like, man, I got some questions I want to ask people. I want to talk to people, you know, and how, how can I do that? And then the whole public land thing started right around the same time I, I got my first Instagram account. And so now, you know, it's just, you're connected with all these people. You're talking to them. Mm-hmm. I was like, somehow I, I want to tie this together so that the seed was there and it was starting to grow. And then just the more podcasts I listened to, I was like, you know what, that's it. I'm, I'm going to start a podcast. So then I reached out mm-hmm. to a certain people and, you know, asked them. And it, it sounds like our story is kind of similar because before yeah. that, I had buddies that were like, there is no you're the last person I ever thought would be on the so-called grid, you know, (laughs) social media. And and here I am. And now it's like, wow, you got, you've really taken this to the extreme, haven't you? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Very, very similar. And mine was the same way. I just had a lot of questions and I was listening to the, to other podcasts and, and and gosh, so many different ones over time, but, um, hunt back, hunt back country was one of them that was really big for me. Back then, the XO Mountain Gear guys, their, their podcast, I listened to that one a lot. And the Randy Newberg show, I listened to that one quite a bit, too. And uh, But yeah, I had my own questions of my own, and I had people that I wanted to talk to and, and certain people. And we just kicked it off, right? We started it up, and, and away it went. And now, you know, here, here it is a couple of years later, and it's doing well. Podcast is doing good, and I'm having a super good time doing it. So what were your expectations going into it versus uh, kind of the reality of it? <laughs> expectations were very low, to be honest. Like when, when we started, the, I started this with a buddy of mine, and uh, Steve. If you've listened to ever, ever listened to some of the old original shows, um, Steve is on there for like five or six. And then we're both military guys and we like we could just never sync anything up, right? It was so hard to schedule a show, having a partner that wasn't local. He, and he traveled a lot. So sometimes he might be on Eastern Standard Time. Sometimes he'd be a mountain or whatever, Pacific Time. Uh, so I ended up just running with it and and he dropped off. But expectation, we we would laugh, you know, I would be happy if I got 10 downloads on a show or 20 likes on an Instagram post or something, you know, so the expectations were really low and we never certainly never thought that the show would grow to, to where it is today. And I, I don't ha- not that we're a huge show, certainly no Joe Rogan or, or <laughs> Kafaru cast or any of those bigger shows, but the show does really, really well. And we, I mean, we have a good sponsor base, right? We're sponsored by Elk 101's University of Elk Hunting and Go Hunt and Onyx which are all fantastic companies in the Western hunting industry. And uh, it's just grown to, to that point. And I think the reason for growth is we have an interesting, and I say we because we have a team, right? I have, a, I have guys that help me with content and, and help me listen to the shows. And, and I do the editing and the recording. My buddy Jordan is on the back end. He does a lot of the Instagram and social media stuff. And then, I, like I said, I've got guys that test listen to the podcast before they go out. and We just have a group of guys. So everything is we, right? It's all about us. And, and um, we try to, try to stick to that, that concept that none of us know exactly what we're doing, right? We, we're all good at something. Um, we're, just, we're not necessarily rookies in, in any space. We're just trying to help people that are new hunters. 
and people that might be rookies, and we're, we're trying to help them along. So we'll get a lot of questions where people will ask us, you know, different things. And it, it, I'm not going to know the answers to everything. Obviously, I've only been doing this a few years, but some of the guys on the team have been doing this for 10 years, uh, Western hunting. So if I get a question, I send it over to them, you know, and then they answer that question or or there's a lot of things that I do know. I reload a lot. I do a lot of archery stuff, shoot guns a lot. So that's kind of my my space. But um, yeah, to, I'm sorry to circle back the expectations. I, I certainly think that we've, I, I've outgrown my expectations of 10 downloads per show. That's for sure. <laughs> pretty happy with pretty happy with where we're at right now. So what are, what are your plans for the future then? We're going to keep doing the same thing. Uh, I really like where we're at as far as the educational part. We, Our core values for backcountry rookies is to prepare, inspire, and educate. And every podcast that we do, I try to touch on at least one, if not more, of those core values, whether it be talking about gear and you know trying to, to help people prepare or have that inspirational show that might try to get somebody to go – excuse me, to, to go out West or educate. We're running a series right now with go hunt. That's trying to help people understand how the insider program works and how that can help them select units and, and better understand that Western big game thing. Um, so yeah, that, that's the whole idea. We're going to keep growing off of that. We've got some stuff that we've been working on for the website that it's slow moving, man. It's a crawl. Cause we're all pretty busy in our own, in our own world. And we don't have, I don't have all day to dedicate to just, you know, developing new things, but as long as we we can help prepare, inspire and educate, that's the whole idea. And that's where we're going to stay. No, I think that's, that's a good thing. That's kind of somewhat similar to the premises of this show, you know, except, you know, we've got the foraging aspect and stuff. And that's just one thing that I really wanted to learn. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of people out there now that I've started the show though, I've realized there's a lot more people out there that are interested in it or doing it than I ever imagined. And I think that's pretty cool too. It's a, you know, kind of a different, little bit of a different twist than yours. Yours is a little bit more dedicated towards the back country, but um, you know, it's, it's a, a broad spectrum on this one, but it's kind of the same thing. And I never really had any expectations going in either. It was one of those things that I just wanted to talk to people and learn some stuff, maybe share something along the way. And I hope I'm doing that anyway. I don't know. Don't know if I'm actually doing that or not, but. um, Yeah. I don't know if I'm inspiring or preparing or educating (laughs) anybody, but I'm learning stuff every day. I once heard a guy, I think it was Jay Scott and he's a podcaster too, but Jay Scott's been a hunter for years and years and years. And um, he's an Arizona guy. So he hunts primarily in the Southwest and Colorado um he said he's he basically said he doesn't and i'm probably going to word this wrong but he's not too concerned with what the user or the listener thinks about his podcast he's recording every show for his own education and that guy's got like 500 shows out there man he's done a pile of podcasts but and i think it's funny when you listen to him because they sound very authentic and real and i think it's because he he's not worrying about what the what that user or the listener is going to to take away from it he's thinking if i take away something then somebody else out there is going to take away too and i i think that was a that's a really cool way to to look at it he's you know worried about himself and i do that a lot of times too i know i'll be talking to people and i'll catch myself in a rabbit hole where i'm asking 
all of these like really direct, like personal questions. And then I'm thinking, man, I'm only concerned about myself here, but I really want to know the answer to that. Yeah. So, no, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I dive down that hole sometimes, but so what, uh, what, what are your, I guess your future plans for hunting then that you, you have in the works or I know you're kind of in a transition right now from military to civilian life, but do you think that's going to affect your hunting or make it a little easily easier to plan things? Well, right now it's not easy to plan anything. Um, but I am right in the middle of that transition. Like you mentioned, once everything settles down and I, I move on to wherever my wife and I are going to move to, then everything will continue. Um, I, I just love being outside, whether it be, if I end up moving to the East coast somewhere and, you know, living out in, let's say Virginia, a lot of this stuff I do in the military focuses around DC area and Virginia. And if I ended up out there, then I'd find something to hunt out in, in that area. As long as I can be outside. Um, I'm, right now I'm kind of kicking around the idea of a spring bear hunt. If, everything settles down a little bit earlier and, and I, you know, figure out where I'm moving and all that. I'd love to get out and spring bear hunt again. I went last year up in Oregon this year. I'm kind of looking at Arizona to go out to Arizona and spring bear hunt. Um, elk, I'll definitely go hunt elk again this year at some, somewhere, someplace. I, I don't have any of that nailed down to be honest. So I know where I want to go. I put in for, um, I put in for Arizona, which, I put in for some really, really tough draws and I'm, I'm not going to draw on Arizona. Um, I will definitely go coos deer hunting again. That was a, I had an absolute blast out there in January and that'll happen next year also in January or they have a, a rifle hunt in December that I may try to get a tag for. If not, I'll go archery in January again. Is the rifle only by draw or is that, uh, yeah, it's a draw. Yep. And that's a, that's kind of a weird hunt too, because that's, I, when I went out there, I hunted on the military base. There's, there's a military base down in Southern Arizona on the border down there. And, uh, that's, that's where I hunted and I want to hunt there for rifle. There's a lot of coos deer out there. They're just, they're just so stinking smart, man. It's hard to get up on them with a bow, you know? And I think with a rifle, if I had a rifle, I could have killed a few monster bucks last year, but. I ended up with a little spike that was too dumb to run away from me like those big smart bucks were. So <laughs> That's all right. But at, hey, least, at least you came home with something, yep, right? That's absolutely right, man. It, it, it's pretty cool. I got the I'm going to I'm going to do the uh boiled ahead, you know, I'm going to do the the European mount on it and just keep it on my desk cuz it's just you know it's a little bitty head with these two little spikes on it. So it's nothing big, but I was proud of that thing, man. That was a tough week of of hunting, so a lot of fun, a lot of fun out there. You want to talk about that a little bit? You how you how you came up with the idea that behind going to actually do that? I mean, because I've seen it for a while now. You know, Randy and all those guys go down there and they do their thing, and Stealthy Hunter goes down there and they all do the whole coos deer hunt. So I mean, I've wanted to do it but haven't done it. I buy the Arizona tag every year, so it's like I've got the license. It's mm -hmm. just for me, it's such a long trek. You know, I mean, it's oh, like, yeah. it's like 23 hours or something like that crazy. It'd be a long one to do, but I kind of want to get down there and do that. But you want to talk about your hunt a little bit and how you uh, ended up getting on that buck? Yeah, sure. So that was, um, I, I'm i really familiar with Arizona. I, I love Arizona and I used to be stationed out there at, at Fort Huachuca. So I'm really familiar with that area. 
Um, my what I do in the military is uh, folk like all of the training and all of the schooling and everything is out of Fort Huachuca. And so I go back there routinely, like I'm always out there and there's beautiful mountains out there. And so I'm, I'm just familiar with that, that area. Uh, a couple of years ago, I happened to be out there for a school and that school was during the, the, like it was the three weeks before the December coos deer hunt. There's a December over the counter archery and a January over the counter archery. And I timed it right. You know, I, I applied to go to this school and everything worked out. And it literally, it the, the school graduated on opening day of the coos deer hunt. So my plan was just to go to school for three weeks. And then when I graduated that class, I was going to spend like seven days out there hunting. Um, family emergency came up and I, I literally, the day I graduated, I had to drive home. So I didn't get to hunt. So I already knew about that hunt and I knew kind of the area. I knew Fort Huachuca had a lot of nice bucks and a lot of nice deer on it. So this year, when my retirement started, you know, military retirement and everything started to kind of kick off and was moving, I knew I was going to be, I, I wasn't going to be working in January. So I just decided to pack everything up and throw it all in the truck and drive out there. And it's about third, no, no. Uh, yeah, it's about 13 or 14 hours for me to get out there. So not terrible. Um, I drove out there. And I was supposed to meet up with my buddy Jordan, who's who's my the social media guy for for backcountry rookies. And um, it turns out he wasn't able to come down, so it was just me. And then, luckily, I have some friends out there, and I ended up meeting up with my friends, and I met some new friends, and we all got to hunt together, and we had a great time. Um, saw a lot of bucks. Saw some mule deer bucks. I saw some coos deer bucks. I put a stock on. I don't even know, probably eight or 10 different bucks that were nice. And I blew all of those because I'm terrible at hunting. But the um, finally got to connect. I saw this little spike. It was, I had spent, well, the first couple of days I was hunting for myself and and that didn't go very well. I blew a few stocks on nice bucks. And then there was a couple of days where I was helping a friend of mine, Thomas, and I was trying to help him get a buck because he only had a couple of days to hunt. And we ended up getting him a, a little buck that was, you know, just a nice, nice buck. And then it was, I was running solo for the last three days that I was out there. And uh, I chased around this really nice, you know, he's real pretty buck, really nice frame on him. Just a good, a good looking deer. I chased him around for a couple of days and could just never, I could never make it work. And on the last day that I was out there, I said, okay, today, it's, I don't care. If I see a buck, I'm going after it. It doesn't matter what it is. And at four o'clock in the afternoon, on my last day out there, I came across this little spike buck that was off the, kind of off the road on, you know, in a little patch of grass feeding. And I ended up stalking in on him and I took about a 40 yard shot and was able to take that little buck. But, um, after a week of hunting, and I tell you, man, on that last day, you kind of get to that point where you're like, okay, that's it. I'm going to take whatever I can get. And it just so happened that it was a little spiked. So uh, it's a good shot, though. I mean, I it put him down, and it doesn't take much to carry one of them things out. To be honest, I just kind of <laughs> I, I didn't even put it in the pack or anything. I just drug him down the hill and threw him in the back of the truck. After I, you know, I drug him out and pop, threw him in the truck and they have a nice little area where you can skin deer out and stuff right there on base. So I took him over, skinned him out and headed home. That's a pretty cool experience. 
Yeah. Yeah, oh, it was think, it was awesome. Yeah. I think I'm gonna definitely have to try and get down there and do that one of these days because it sounds cool. It looks like everybody has fun, you know. And what else are you gonna do in the middle of winter, right? Exactly. Every, go to the war, go to cool. Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of cold. I camped and and um I just I had a nice little campsite. I, I called ahead to make sure I had something reserved on base on on a military base where I could camp and the lady kind of laughed and she was like, You know it's January, right? And I was like, well, yeah, it's hunting season. I got to make sure. She's like, nobody's camping. You're going to be just <laughs> fine. <laughs> and I got down there. And the first couple nights that I was down there, it was like 28, 29 degrees or something like that. It was pretty chilly. Not for you. You guys are used to that kind of stuff up I there. I think that's but... good sleeping weather. That's my opinion. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's good sleeping weather. I, that's I don't shorts like camping. and t-shirt. Yeah, I don't like camping yeah. in the summertime. It's too hot. Your tent gets yeah. all. Yeah, no. Definitely. But we, yeah, so I had this little campsite. Everything was just awesome, man. I, I just had a great time. And um, it's, it's a lot, it's not like it's super, it's not like elk hunting where you're just miles and miles and miles every day up the side of a mountain and down and back up at 10,000 feet. You know, um, the area that I hunted is it's at about 5,000 feet and there's mountains. There's, there's definitely big mountains, but you you just kind of sit in one spot and you glass for a long time until you find something that you want to go and chase. It's not like a, a elk hunting where you're walking around with a, if it's archery season, you know, you're walking around with that bugle tube and just every drainage that you can find, you're blowing that bugle tube. It's it's a lot more glass intensive and you sit and and you do a lot of glass. And I spent a lot of time in my truck driving around and just kind of looking for areas that might be good little deer areas. And then I'd get out of the truck and I'd glass from, from the bed of the truck. Some days I just kind of sit there and, and glass. And there's a couple of days I found a little shady tree and I'd sit up under that shade tree and glass the side of a mountain for, for a couple of hours, you know? So it's pretty relaxed. It's a laid back hunt. That's a lot of fun. So do you uh, have success or hunt much public land in Texas or no? Well, <laughs> no, I don't. I, I've had success in Texas, but I've I've never hunted public land down here. It's very very limited. Texas only has about two percent, and that might be on the high side. I think it's less than two percent of public land, and a lot of that isn't. I, I'm not super familiar with it. A lot of that is water that's for fishing and a lot of it is for bird hunting there isn't a whole ton that's like deer hunting areas that's public land um i am really fortunate that i have some family out in in west texas and they there's a lot of land out there in west texas to be hunted and so i have some access to a couple of ranches that are just massive um and i I get the opportunity to hunt those and they're huge like one of them that I get on is about 40,000 acres and it's, they're just massive. So you can hunt all day on some of these, these ranches and never see the entire thing, you know? So it's a lot of fun. I, I enjoy it. Cause it's all, you know, if you have the access to it, it's just, it's basically your own big old hunting area. Nice. So yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. So I got one more question for you here. What's your biggest takeaway from your podcast? Uh, man, that's a really good question that there's a lot. I would say my biggest one is probably, I'm going to give you two patience, right? Um, and you 
You hear it a lot. You hear a lot of the experts say, slow down and, and be patient, right? Don't just run in. If it's if we're talking about elk hunting, and I would even say like West Texas mule deer hunting or even coos deer, probably anything, you're gonna if you're in a big hurry, you're gonna pass more animals getting to that. Let's say it's that five miles deep. You're probably gonna walk past a herd of elk if you're trying to go five miles deep into anywhere, especially in, in Colorado. So slow down and be patient and just take your time. And that's one thing that I that I've learned for sure. And I've so I learned that when I was started talking about elk hunting, but I put that kind of stuff into action when I go out to West Texas. And if I'm just out there looking for mule deer or scouting for deer or whatever it is, um, I learn now that I just kind of slow down and take my time. And and I've seen more nice mule deer since I've started doing it that way than I have ever in the past hunting out there. So um, slow down. And then the other one that I'll tell you is testing gear and testing equipment. That And that's not even really – that's just something that I've learned in the military and then through the podcast and, and all of that stuff. But to not understand how your equipment works is probably one of the biggest failures that people can have when they go into a any type of situation. And even from everything, like I said, from your layering system to pitching your tent to even your first aid equipment. You know, if there's something that you have in your first aid pouch and you don't know what it is, tear that thing open and figure out how to use it. And then if it costs you five bucks to go buy another one, okay, so it costs you five bucks, but now you understand that piece of equipment and you know how to use it. And I think that that is absolutely value. I mean, super valuable to understand anything. No, I think that's a good one. That's definitely yeah. a good one to, to keep in mind and the slowdown. I find myself doing that all the time. It's like, well, it's hard, you know, you got all your external pressures from the outside world and then you're going and you're going into an animal's world and you're trying to submerse yourself into that element. And then you, you're still in the mindset. It almost takes like a day to just really decompress and put yourself back into that environment where you can fully uh, pick up all, all the indicators and everything around you. And I'll do that. Even when I'm, even when I'm scouting, I keep telling myself, slow down, slow mm -hmm. down. You're missing sign by walking fast. What's your hurry? A deer doesn't, a deer doesn't care whether it takes him four hours to cross a hundred yards. He'll do what he does and just graze along the way. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's a huge one too. I think that's definitely. And that goes it, to me, it, it goes for anything like I, so one thing that I've realized over the last, and like I said, this is before backcountry rookies or anything. My eyes don't adjust, right? Like if I go out to West Texas and I'm in San Antonio, so there's a lot of green here and it's lush, you know, and it's a whole different environment than when I go out to West Texas and West Texas is brown and it's deserty and it, it's totally different. And if I go out to West Texas, it usually takes me, I would say, two days before I start seeing animals move. You know, I mean, I'll see them. Like, if there's a deer crossing the road, obviously you're going to see it. But if you're looking four or 500 yards off in the distance, those first couple of days, there could be a deer standing right in the middle of that thing. And I'm not going <laughs> to, I won't see it, you know, unless I've got my binos like right on it. But it, after about two days, your eyes adjust and the colors and everything. They, it, everything starts to come together, you know, and you start seeing those. And I found that with coos deer too, when I was in Arizona, by the time I left, 
I would be driving down the road and I could just glance off the side of the road and be like, oh crap, there's a deer. And I would see a deer standing there, pull up my binos, glass it up. Okay, of course it's another doe. And you just keep on, keep moving, you know, looking for a buck. But that's part of that slow down. Like if you just run in there and you rush in that first couple of days, there's a really good chance that you're missing something and you're overlooking something because you're just not adjusted to it. Colorado and those Western states, altitude is something that you absolutely have to consider before you go. I don't know what, what your elevation is there in Illinois. I know it's not very high. I'm low like you. Maybe not as low as you, but yeah, I'm pretty low. We're at about 600 feet, I think here in, in San Antonio. Yeah. You're about, actually you're about a hundred feet higher than me then. So, (laughs) yeah. So it's, and I'm telling you when, when I go to Colorado, the first couple of days are rough. And there's no amount of training that you can do for it, right? People wear those masks and yep. they do all these stair climbers, and they, which is none of that hurts. It helps prepare you, but you need, there's an acclimation period that has to happen. And all the, the, the few years that I've gone out there, I try to get there a day early and I try to go somewhere in the eight to 9,000 range and spend a little bit of time, whether it just be an afternoon or like this past year, we, I got out there, we, the camp was already set up and established because the guys were there before me. And when I got there, uh, season, I got there the day before opening day. So we didn't, season wasn't even open yet, but Gus and I threw our packs on and we just went for a walk. I want to say we did about three or four miles. It was easy. We didn't find a 10, 10,500 foot mountain to climb we just stayed right around that 8500 to 9000 range and we just went for a little walk and looked at a couple drainages and looked at some open areas and looked around looked for sign and i honestly think just that short little slow walk probably helped me more than anything because the next day opening day we did i want to say it was about nine miles and we went from 9000 to like 10,800 and down to 8000 and then back to 9000 you know we we were all over the map on altitude and elevation and, and I didn't really struggle. So I, there, I think it really helps to have an extra day in that altitude to get yourself ready. Yeah. I, I tried to do that and it seemed like I still didn't fully adjust, but you know, I, I think <laughs> yeah. we, we pulled in and it was like 8,500 feet or something is where we're the, the closest town where we were at. It was kind of similar situation though, just kind of walking around and trying to ease into it. And then next morning got up and first, first small little ascent I went up. I was like, Oh my gosh, how far have I been going? It feels like five miles. And I, yeah. went like, I went like, you know, maybe 500 vertical yards. <laughs> it was yeah. Nothing. Right. That's yeah. time for one of those mountain naps. People talk about yeah. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, man? What do you got planned for this year? Well, I don't actually have any hunts planned other than just some whitetail hunting around here. I've got a turkey hunt this spring that I drew a tag for here close to the house. So nothing far away. Um, Definitely 2021 is going to be an elk hunt for sure. I just don't know where or what details on that yet, but maybe see if I draw in Arizona. If not, it'll probably be an over-the-counter hunt. But uh, I got a a seven-month-old baby at home, so nothing nothing far away this, this year. Yeah, give give him some chance to spend some time with dad and mom. Uh, mom's not ready for for that yet. Give her a little break too. Yeah. yeah. How uh, how many points do you have in Arizona? I believe I've got four, so not okay. a whole lot. Not a whole. Well, lot. you're that's that's what I've got. 
This and this year I put in for just stupid hunts that I 0.1% chance of getting of drawing, you know. But I figure that's better than just buying a point. So I, I put in for something that's just ridiculous. And if I draw it, then holy cow, you know, I I drew it. And if I don't, then I still got my point. And I think next year I'm gonna try it. Uh, Arizona is for 2021. I'm right. I'm gonna I should have five points. I'll have four or five, and I should be able to draw something with with four or five points. So a decent hunt, I think. That's kind of my plan too. I don't I don't want to be one of those guys that's got, you know, 25 points in a unit and just holding out for that one tag. I just want to hunt. And yeah. I know, you know, Arizona's got plenty of opportunities, right? So yeah. it's one of those yeah. things. I'm I'm not going to hold out for anything spectacular. And that's about the only state I've really got points built up in that's a consistent, you know, point build every year, but yeah. Yeah. Definitely 2021. Got to look at that coos deer hunt next year. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, I appreciate you for coming on, Chad. And uh, I think this is probably a good point to wrap it up here. You got uh, tell people where they can find you and listen to you. And then we'll say our goodbye. <laughs> awesome. Everything is Backcountry Rookies. Instagram, Facebook. Um, the podcast is Backcountry Rookies podcast. I'm, I'm on the Sportsman's Nation podcast network. If you're familiar with that, if you're not. Um, it's Dan Johnson, who's created a, a podcast network for whitetail and big game hunting. Both. He, he's got two different versions. Whitetail. I, I honestly am not sure what he's got going on on the whitetail side. I know there's several good podcasts. And then the big game side, he's got a bunch of good stuff too, including backcountry rookies. So there's that, um, Instagram, like I said, is is Backcountry Rookies. We also have a private group on Facebook that's called the Backcountry Rookies Nation. And that is, I want to say there's about 3,000 members in that now. And it's just a place where we try to gather people that are, we've got really experienced people in there. And we've got brand new people that are coming on asking just those exact brand new guy questions, right? What boots should I get? What how do I even, what is backcountry hunting? You know, uh, everything that you can imagine. And, and it's a no judgment type of, of group of people. And if we see that judgment or we see people that are bashing on guys for being new, we'll kick them out of the group right away. We try to keep it a really professional and, and good group of people that, that can support each other, you know? So that's it. Um, Backcountry rookies everywhere you go. There's a website that's got some information on it. We're trying one thing we're trying to do on the website is build up uh, a packing list kind of uh, uh, you can see it in the, the drop downs. There's a few in there where if you're looking for it, kind of what people have in their pack, you can go and um, it's not totally filled up yet. We don't have a lot of them in there. So if you do have a good packing list, if you listen to this podcast and you want to share your packing list with us, shoot it over to us and and uh, we may throw it up on the packing list page, which is, to me, it's helpful because there's everything on there from, like, I have my bear hunt packing list on there, I think, which is totally different than what you would take on an elk hunt. And, you know, they're all labeled as such. So it kind of gives you an idea of what you might want in your pack on different hunts. Nice. That's a really good feature. I'll have to check yeah. that out. If I get a Facebook, I don't have one yet. I probably should, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 All right, man. I appreciate it for coming on. Thank you so much. Yeah, you bet, man. Thanks for having me. Yep. Talk to you. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. 
Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it, a life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.